All right, so we're back in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, and uh, I've been hearing some scuttlebutt that some of the men are ready for me to move on from this series. Uh, I, I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, my dad said something yesterday about we need to go to John the Baptist or, or, or something like that. But uh, guys, I think uh, you will be glad that you're here today. I think you will be glad uh, that your wife is here today. So hopefully, uh, if you've been feeling a little, little challenged in this series, hopefully you'll like me better after today. I think that might be the case. So uh, in Ephesians 5, we are going to finish up uh, Jesus and my marriage, and uh, you know, Preston shared about the Easter series, and then uh, you know, we'll finish up Ephesians, I guess, kind of late spring, and, and this summer, Lord willing. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Philip Lyon's going to be preaching, Preston's going to preach this Sunday uh, after that. Robin's surgery is this Thursday. I'm planning on taking a, a week off. But um, I guess with all that said, let's just read. We're going to focus on verse 33 today. We've uh, spent a lot of time in this, and I think looked at it pretty thoroughly. This is the verse we haven't really touched yet. But I want to read the whole passage one more time, just uh, remind us of some things, just kind of do a little review as, as we walk through it. So verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. So that's, that's the first command uh, in this to the wives. And remember, all of this is done as unto Christ. It's talking about Christian marriage. For the husband is head of the wife. That's his uh, position. His, so his role is leadership. Is also Christ is head of the church. So it's to be Christ-like servant leadership. It says he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so there's that command repeated again. Then the command to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. It's an unconditional love. Gave himself for her. It's to be a sacrificial love that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So it's a sanctifying kind of love. Then verse 28. So husbands, ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So it's a caring love, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Remember, we talked about this being the biblical definition of marriage. That's a quotation from Ephesians 2 that Jesus also quoted in Matthew chapter 19. There's a leaving, a joining, a consummating. But all of this, verse 32, it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the whole point of this, like we've talked about so much, is that the union of a husband and wife in Christ is a picture of Christ's union with us as individual believers, with his church. Their marriage is designed to be a reflection of the gospel. It's designed to be empowered by the gospel, that our love and commitment to one another is designed to be a picture of the covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, the unconditional love that he has for us, the gospel, the fact that Jesus purchased us and made us his own and is always faithful. Uh, to us. That's the point of all of this. But then he finalizes it all uh, in verse 33 by saying this, nevertheless, 
Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. So guys, he tells us this again. We must really need to hear this. We must be a little slow or, or something because he keeps repeating this to us, pounding this into our heads. And you're like, I thought there was going to be some relief for me today. Well, here it comes. Here's the, the second command in this text to the wives. It says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's the main idea. It's extremely uh, simple. This is what we're going to try to unpack today. It's just this idea that God commands wives to respect their husbands. So ladies, understand this text. If you're married, this is something that God is telling you to do. So this would be a matter, you know, just beyond, um, you know, what it means between you and your husband and in your relationship. This is a matter of obedience or disobedience between you and God. Okay, and so that's, that's very simple. That's very straightforward. So what we're going to try to do in, the, in this time is look at, okay, what does this command mean? We're really going to look a lot at how do you live it out. Um, going to be very practical. Uh, we're going to look at why would God command husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. And like we said before, this doesn't mean that wives aren't to love their husbands, that husbands aren't to respect their wives. The, the Bible teaches us that we're to love and respect all people, but there must be some particular reasons why God gives this command to husbands and then gives this command to wives. He doesn't do things arbitrarily. There, there's, a, there's a reason behind everything uh, that he does. So let's unpack this a little bit and then uh, really try to apply it to our lives. So the, the, the first thing I want to say about this command, and just hit this quickly because we've said this over and over again through the course of this series, but like everything else in this text, this command is ultimately based on the analogy of Christ and the church and it reflects the fact that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And wives are to respect their husbands like the church is to respect Jesus. So this isn't just about uh, just a relationship between a man and a woman. It's pointing to a bigger spiritual reality of how Jesus relates to the church, how the church relates to Jesus. And like we talked about, the husband's to picture Jesus, the wife is to picture the church. And this, like every other aspect of a Christian marriage, is to be a reflection of that. That's the big picture of this whole text that everything is grounded in. But there's a second statement that I want to make, and I think this is where it begins to get really practical for us. And that is, God designed us as men and women. He designed marriage. So he knows what's best for us. And so he gives these commands because men tend to thrive on respect, and women tend to thrive on love. So it's ultimately about him and his glory and this picture that he's trying to paint through Christian marriage. But it's also very practical in that he designed us and he wired us and he knows what we need. And the reality is men need respect. Women need love, affection, those kind of things. Now, I want to illustrate it to you this way. I've got a couple of books here. Uh, this is by Shanti Feldman. It's called For Women Only. This is Shanti and her uh, husband Jeff. 
and it's called For Men Only. These may be the two most helpful books I've ever read about marriage. They would definitely be in the top five, uh, hands down. And um, in, in the For Women Only book, uh, she writes this. Uh, chapter 2 is actually titled, Your Love is Not Enough. And remember, it's written to women. And the subtitle is, Why Your Respect Means More to Him Than Even Your Affection. And she makes this statement. She says, Men would rather feel alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. Men would rather feel alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. And, and she illustrates it uh, this way. She says this, When I was a year or two out of college, I went on a retreat that profoundly impacted my understanding of men. And, and ladies, if, if the, the statement that I just read from, or men would feel, rather feel alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected, if that doesn't resonate with you, if you don't get that, you need to listen to this illustration. Okay, um, so she says the theme of the retreat was relationships, which, as you can imagine, was of great interest to a group of single young adults. For the very first session, the retreat speaker divided the room in half and placed the men on one side, the women on the other. And, and, and he said, I'm going to ask you to choose between two bad things. Okay, and he acknowledges they're both bad, but but. Here's the choices. He said, if you had to choose, would you rather feel alone and unloved in the world, or would you rather feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Two clearly bad choices, right? But those are the two choices. But she says, I remember thinking, what kind of choice is that? Who would ever choose to feel unloved? So the speaker then turned to the men's side of the room. Okay, men. Who here would rather feel alone and unloved? A sea of hands went up and a giant gasp rippled across the women's side of the room. He asked which men would rather feel disrespected. And we women watched in, in bemusement as only a few men lifted their hands. Then it was our turn to answer and the men's turn to be shocked when most of the women indicated that they'd rather feel inadequate and disrespected than unloved. And here's the point. She says, while it may be totally foreign to most of us, the male need for respect and affirmation, especially from his woman, is so hardwired and so critical that most men would rather feel unloved than disrespected or inadequate. And so uh, for the book, they, they did uh, a lot of surveys amongst men and found out that three out of four uh, men would, uh, according to their, sur their survey, would rather feel unloved than disrespected. But she said that the difficulty they had in actually even doing the survey is that on this particular question, men would come back and say, I don't know how to answer this because I don't see any difference in the two choices. Meaning that if they feel disrespected, they feel unloved. And I think if you would ask your husbands or your sons or you know, men that you, in your family or men that you know well, I think most of them would answer the question that way. If your husband feels disrespected by you, or even maybe you may respect him, but if you're not conveying that respect, it's going to create a lot of problems. 
You say, how would I know uh, if, if he's feeling disrespected by me? Well, I can't tell you that for sure. What she would say, and I would agree with, is probably the best clue you have is if he's angry. Because if men feel disrespected, they get angry. I mean, if guys of a certain generation, like my generation, a little older, a little younger, think back to when we were growing up and fights that we got into, why did we get into fights? Because we felt like somebody disrespected us or somebody uh, that uh, we cared about. Why does your husband get in a fight with you? Probably because he feels disrespected. That's how it works. Now, in our efforts to be practical with this, we did this with the, with the ladies. And, you know, we, we, I shared some survey results from ladies two or three weeks ago. You know, we asked some ladies around here a couple of questions and, and shared the results with you. So we did the same thing with, with, with some guys uh, a few weeks ago. And, and we asked two different questions this time. We asked, what causes you to feel respected by your wife? And what causes you to feel disrespected by your wife? And so I was actually surprised by the volume of answers that we got. And, and so ladies, sometimes when he's sitting around with a blank stare on his face, maybe mouth breathing, um, and you ask, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. Sometimes he's really thinking about nothing. But obviously, sometimes he's really actually thinking about some uh, substantive kind of things. And so uh, we, we asked the question, what causes you to feel respected? Well, here's uh, some of the answers that we got. Encouraging me and letting me know when I'm being successful and what I'm striving towards. Thanking me for the effort I'm putting in and, and showing appreciation for what I'm doing. When my wife asks questions about Bible doctrine. When my wife asks me for help with physical tasks. When my wife stands up for me when someone has a negative uh, comment. Uh, ask or values my opinion to help her decide on her work matters. Stands behind me as the leader of our home. When she corrects me when I'm wrong. When she asks if I had a good day and follows up by asking why it was good or bad. When she asks me to hold her. When she asks me questions about the lessons she is preparing. When she says she is proud of me. Uh, always when she discusses expenditures with me. When she cares about my welfare. When she consults me on major decisions. Uh, when she asks my opinion with things in her life that may not actually even affect me at all. When she tells me she loves me. When she supports my ambitions. When she wants to spend time with me. When she listens. When she's frugal. Uh, when she looks to me as the spiritual leader and tells me she's grateful for that. When she asks my opinion about household issues. Uh, when my wife wants... Um, wants to support and help me with different jobs or tasks at the home or values me taking care of her. When she lets me know I've made her feel loved and cherished. Um, when she greets me warmly when I come home, when she's attentive to my needs. So that was some of the respect answers. Here's some of the uh, disrespect uh, answers. Uh, not letting me know if there's an area of improvement I could work on when I ask if I'm meeting all of her needs to the best of my ability. And probably the subtext of that, I would assume, was feeling like she's not being honest uh, with me. Uh, when I'm talked to or treated like a child, can I just interject this? Good men hate to be mothered. 
Okay, I know women have this natural maternal uh, instinct, and some women have this thing where they want to rescue and all these kind of things. Uh, okay, mother your children. Don't mother your husband. Don't even mother your, your adult boys too much. They need your respect, too. It's probably some part of the reason why that transition is so hard uh, for moms, because, it, I mean, if he's actually acting like an adult, he doesn't want you to treat him like a child. It's one of the most counterproductive things you could ever do. So back to the survey. That was just my opinion. Um, but I'm right um, on this one. Um, when my answer to a problem is dismissed as stupid, that's seen as disrespectful. When my problems aren't as big as her problems, uh, lack of follow-through on decisions pertaining to our children and their raising that we originally agreed upon. Continually discussing matters with others after we have talked and a decision has been made, if that decision was something we would both have to be in agreement on. Always leaving me to be the tough parent. When she makes jokes about me that aren't true just because another lady made that joke about her husband. Um, when she takes things I say the wrong way. When she talks down to me, when she doesn't listen, when she's not frugal. Uh, getting a little upset too early in a disagreement, uh, doing things on her own initiative, thinking she can handle situations on her own. When I'm talked over, my opinion isn't considered valuable or not trusting my judgment, complaining, not supporting me. When she doesn't show the, any appreciation to the efforts I make to meet her needs and help around the house. And so, those were just real answers. You can agree or disagree with them, but like I said to the guys, maybe we should kind of look at those as kind of cheat codes and learn from what other people say. Think about, uh, ladies, I mean, I, I would encourage you, I gave the, the, the men uh, a, a question to ask you. I'm going to give you a question to ask your husband, okay? And I would encourage you to ask this question. Are there any ways that I'm making you feel disrespected? Are there any ways that I'm making you feel disrespected? And here's the thing I would encourage you to do. That. There's a specific wording to that. The, the issue is not how much you respect or don't respect him. The issue is how much you're making him feel respected. And so if you ask that question now, if he asks you a feeling question and then reacts negatively when you answer, you're not going to like that. So don't you do the same thing to him. You accept and consider his answer because it may be that you're unintentionally doing something or not doing something that's leading to him feeling this way. So you receive it as information and then act on it wisely. Can you do that? I would encourage you to do this. All right, number three. This is something we need to understand about this command, I think, is that is that respect is both an attitude and an action. Uh, respect is both an attitude and an action. Now, I believe that specifically what is commanded here is the action. You may not always feel respect. He may not always uh, be doing something to earn your respect. We're going to get to that in a second. But uh, the point is this. You can treat him with respect even if you don't feel respect at a given moment. 
Now, on the other hand, I would say to us as men, we ought to strive to live in such a way that uh, we are respectable to our wives, just as our wives ought to strive to live in a way where they are lovable to us. And it's not like all the time, I've got to love her like Christ loved the church, even though she's killing me right now. Um. Karen Newhoff said something, this paraphrase, something like this. We ought to strive to live in a way where the people who know us best respect us most. We ought to strive to live in a way where the people who know us best respect us most. All right, there's a lot of people that, you know, they can view us from the outside and they can have a positive or a negative view and it doesn't really matter what they think because they don't really know us. But to the people who really know us, our spouse, our kids, uh, you know, the people we work with most closely, Do they respect us? Are we earning that from them? And then number four, and this is really the last statement I want to give you, and then the rest of it's just really practical application and some review at the end. And and, and this is a statement, you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching, I kind of bounce ideas off different people. And and, and particularly, I I like to get, you know, female viewpoint on things. And so, uh, you know, I talk to Robin about it or talk to the ladies on staff about it. And and I talk to the the ladies on anything, uh, ladies on staff this week, some of them is like, anything you think I need to say to the wives this week? And then this was like the overwhelming answer of the thing from uh, the ladies on staff that I needed to say. So I'm passing the buck here. If you don't like this one, uh, you know, you can, you can talk to, uh, you know, the ladies on staff. But obedience to the command for wives to, love, to respect their husbands is not based on his performance as a husband. Now, I want us to break this down for a second. Let me just give the caveat up front, like I've tried to do through this series. If he's being abusive, don't stay under that abuse under some misguided notion of submission or respect. So that's the caveat, okay? We're not talking about situations like that. I'm just talking about normal marriage. And what these ladies said to me is wives have the tendency to think, okay, if he acts respectably, I'll show him respect. But here is the problem. That's making this a conditional command. Do you want the command for husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church to be a conditional command also, ladies? And the reality is, wait, it got quiet. Ladies, you should have responded to that. You can't have it both ways. So I would word it this way. When wives say they can't respect their husbands because they're not acting respectably, does that mean they shouldn't love their wives when their wives don't act lovable? And I know you all are wonderful and awesome, but you're not always completely 100% lovable all the time. Sorry, but uh, except for my wife, of course. The rest of you, from what I hear, you got, uh, you know, some issues with that sometimes. When wives say they can't respect their husbands because they're not acting respectably, does that mean they shouldn't love their wives when their wives don't act lovably? If that's a word. Um, So it's not based on his performance as a husband. Well, what, what does that look like practically? Well, I want to share some of an article by an author by the name of Nancy Anderson. And she says this way, it this way. She says, my husband Ron admits that he used to be a jerk. 
But I discovered a secret formula that turned him into a loving husband. And, and understand, she's just talking about her experience. There is no secret, you know, I'm not giving you like a money-back guarantee formula here. Life doesn't work that way. Your husband may be a jerk, whatever uh, you do. But she says this, I, this turned him into a loving husband. I started treating him like a VIP. Ron always wanted me to respect him, but I thought he had to earn it and I had to feel it before I could do it. Wrong. We women are very good at pointing out our husband's faults and failures and punishing them for not meeting our needs, but that only leads to discontent and distance in our marriages. We all know that yelling, nagging, and belittling are disrespectful and ineffective. So I'm suggesting a radical concept. Treat him like a king, and eventually, hopefully, he will begin to treat you like a queen. And, and, and remember, this is probably pertains to one of the things that we've talked about uh, a little bit kind of through this series, is if you're having problems, who's going to be the grown-up and, and take the first step in making things better? Somebody's got to, or you're just going to be stuck like this for the rest of your life. And so I hope that one thing you're getting out of this is to take personal responsibility for yourself and let your spouse take personal responsibility before God uh, for him or herself. But if one of you has got to take the first step. So she says, instead of waiting for him to earn your respect, behave respectfully and watch him grow into the man God designed him to be. And I think one of the things that's true about, you know, at least decent men is men have a great capacity to grow into what's expected of them or to grow down to what's expected of them. About 25 years ago, she says, our marriage was on the brink of divorce. I was controlling, critical, and disrespectful, so Ron was defensive and angry. We were both Christians, but neither of us was living a spirit-filled life. I was letting my emotions determine my actions and thought it was Ron's job to make me happy. Instead of seeking marriage counseling, I found temporary, quote, she says, happiness in the arms of a coworker. But through a series of miracles, you can read my book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, for the whole story, we made a decision to rebuild our marriage. While trying to heal, we went to a Christian counselor who read Ephesians 5.33, our text. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Then he said, Ron, and this is the kind of counselor you need to go to if you're going to go to counseling. Ron, you've not been behaving in a loving way. And Nancy, your behavior has been very respectful to Ron. I knew he was right, so I swallowed hard and came up with a plan. He said, what would a plan to look, what would a plan to respect your husband look like? All right, well, I want to give you a lady's viewpoint on that, so I'm going to go back to this book, uh, Mrs. Feldon's book for women only. Okay, just kind of, I want to lay out just some practical things that, that she says that I would encourage you ladies to, to try to take and apply here. First of all, before we get into those specific things, she asked a question that I think is important because usually if, to, if we understand the why behind the what, that helps us function in, in a better way. It gives us motivation to do what we need to do. So here's the why behind the what. She asked the question, why is respect and affirmation so important to a man? And here's what she says. She says, finally, the light bulb came on. If a man feels disrespected, he is going to feel unloved. And what that translates to is this. If you want to love your man in the way he needs to be loved, then you need to ensure that he feels your respect most of all. 
So if a man spells love, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, then if you want him to feel loved by you, that's what he needs to feel and experience from you. She said a marriage counselor said to her, affirmation is everything. When a man is affirmed, he can conquer the world. When he's not, he's sapped of his confidence and even his feeling of manhood. And believe me, he will consciously or unconsciously seek out places where he receives affirmation. Now, why is this true? She poses two reasons, and I think she is on the money with them. She suggests, first of all, it's because of insecurity. Men are generally more insecure than we want to let on. That's the reality. A lot of times what comes across as male arrogance is really insecurity disguised as machismo. Really, a secure man is a man who has a quiet confidence. He doesn't have to tell you about himself. He just does what he needs to do. It's the uh, Robert Sandberg phrase about Abraham Lincoln that I've shared before that I love so much, velvet steel. I mean, that's the right kind of man, but we can struggle with that. But she says the second reason, and ladies, I think you need to hear this, is difficulty with openness. It probably doesn't shock you that it's hard for a man to be open, especially about his feelings and the inner workings uh, of, of his life. It's really hard with other men because men are so naturally competitive, it can be hard for us to let our guard down. And men, if we have friends that we can do that with, we're actually blessed. That, that's a big hurdle for guys to cross. We say amen, guys? Amen. All right, so you're hearing that, ladies? But she says this. She says the only time a guy's guard is completely down is with the woman he loves. I mean, he may open up to you like nobody else, but this means that she can pierce his heart like no one else can. So, if, if that's true, what does he need from you? Well, she says two things. Affirmation and respect. Now, what does affirmation looks like, look like? She talks about three particular areas. The first is verbal affirmation. Remember the Craig Rochelle saying I've shared with you before? If you think something good, say it. You may think your husband is the greatest husband in the world. Tell him. You may think he's the finest man in the world. Tell him. You may have all the respect in the world for him, but are you telling him that? He needs to hear it from you. He needs your praise, your encouragement, your appreciation. He needs you to build him up. You may think he's, oh, he's a big, tough guy. He needs it from you, I promise. All right? He may not tell you, but I'm going to tell you for him right now, okay? He needs that. Second, he needs your affirmation sexually. She writes, for your husband, sex is more than just a physical need. Listen to this. Lack of sex is as emotionally serious to him as, say, his sudden silence would be to you emotionally were he simply to stop communicating with you. Making love with you assures him that you find him desirable, salves a deep sense of loneliness, and gives him the strength and well-being necessary to face the world with confidence. And, of course, sex also makes him feel loved. At the most basic level, your man wants to be wanted. And then third, he needs your affirmation, particularly in difficult times. When things are tough, 
This can make or break your husband, honestly. Let me give you an example of this, something that Dr. James Dobson shared in the Focus on the Family newsletter several years ago. But uh, I don't know if you ever heard him preach. He, he died in the early 2000s. I don't know if anybody ever heard Dr. E.V. Hill preach. Uh, amazing uh, preacher, African-American pastor in, in, in Los Angeles. And um, uh, Dr. Hill told this story about his wife. His wife uh, died before uh, he did. And so he, he started pastoring when he was like 21 and I guess, you know, small church. And he's working another job, struggling to earn a living and, you know, trying to take care of his family. And so he decided that he would take kind of just what meager amount of savings money they had and invest in buying a, a, a filling station, a gas station to try to make some money for his family. His, his wife, her name was Jane, objected and, uh, you know, just he didn't think he had the time, you know, really knew what he was doing with this, but he didn't listen to her. And eventually the station went broke and he just kind of lost his shirt in, in, in the deal. And so Dr. Dobson says it was a critical time in the life of this young man. He had failed at something important and his wife would have been justified in saying, I told you so. But Jane had an intuitive understanding of her husband's vulnerability Thus, when Evie called to tell her that he lost the station, she simply said, all right. So he came home that night expecting his wife to be pouting and, you know, maybe to give him a lecture or whatever. Instead, she sat down with him and said, quote, I've been doing some figuring. I figured that you don't smoke and you don't drink. If you smoked and drank, you would have lost as much as you lost in the service station. So it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Let's forget it. Dr. Dobson says Jane could have shattered her husband's confidence at that delicate juncture. The male ego is surprisingly fragile, especially during times of failure and embarrassment. That's why he needed her to say, I still believe in you. And that is precisely the message she conveyed to him. So shortly after this fiasco with the service station, he came home one night and found the house dark. Uh, when he opened the door, he saw that Jane had prepared a candlelight dinner uh, for two. And uh, he said, if you ever heard him preach, you would remember this phrase, what meaneth thou this with his uh, characteristic humor? And she said, well, we're going to eat by candlelight tonight. And he thought that was a great idea until he went into the bathroom to wash his hands before they ate and tried to turn the light on and the light would not come on. And then he went in the bedroom and flipped another switch and darkness prevailed. And so he went back into the dining room and he asked her, well, why is the electricity off? And she began to cry. And she said, you worked so hard and we're trying, but it's pretty rough. I didn't have, quite have enough money to pay the light bill. I didn't want you to know about it. So I thought we would just eat by candlelight. And, and Dr. Dobson says that Pastor Hill describes described his, his, what his wife did with intense emotion and said, she could have said, I've never been in this situation before. I was reared in the home of Dr. Carruthers and we never had our light cut off. She could have broken my spirit and she could have ruined me and she could have demoralized me. But instead she said, somehow or another, we'll get these lights on, but let's eat tonight by candlelight. And it turned out all right for them because a lot of people consider him one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. And just think what her reaction meant to him and think what the opposite reaction would have meant to him. 
If you believe in him enough to marry him, believe in him enough to support him through hard times. He needs affirmation verbally, sexually, and in difficult times. But then uh, Mrs. Feldon also says, he needs your respect. And of course, that's what God says to us, to you in this text. And so what, what does that look like? And, and she points out five areas, and I just hit quickly, five specific areas or ways that you can show your husband respect. One is you can respect him in his judgment, in his leadership, um, you know, to actually submit to him and, and follow him and, and do it with the right attitude. You know, in a sense, you could almost say that uh, submission is the action and respect is the attitude that submission actually flourishes in because you can do what your husband says, but you can do it with an attitude that's completely disrespectful and still be disobeying God in the process. So respect his judgment. Respect his abilities. Build him up. Encourage him. Praise him. Respect him in communication. Like, you may respect him, but are you showing that to him? Are you expressing that to him? Are you telling him? Does your tone, uh, you know, betray a lack of respect towards him? Here's another one. This one's huge. In public, do you respect him? And in public would include in front of your kids. And, and, and really, this goes both ways. But don't ever belittle your husband, or by the same token, we shouldn't belittle our wives in front of other people. But since we're specifically talking about this respect command, I mean, I would even watch, you know, teasing your husband in, in, in front of other people in a way that's actually putting him down, unless you know it doesn't bother him, or it's people who are, 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 are safe. But, but see, he, here's the thing. If you're belittling your husband in, 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 in front of other people, it puts him in a complete, absolute, no-win situation. Because here's the thing. If he reacts harshly, he looks unmanly. If he doesn't react at all, he looks unmanly. So it's a complete no-win situation for him. Remember that. And then show respect by giving him the benefit of the doubt in your assumptions. And of course, that's just what love does, and it's how we really ought to treat one another. But um, you know, the idea here is you show him love by showing him respect. Are you doing that? I'd ask him. Now, this is how I want to conclude this, this whole series, this whole section of Ephesians. I just kind of want to circle back around and, uh, to kind of where we started and uh, just remind you of a couple of things and just give you a couple of application questions, okay? So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18 for a minute. And we started by talking about a couple of things that marriage won't work without. We said marriage won't work without wisdom. Marriage won't work without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's why I said this. Ephesians 5.15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as what? Wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be what? Unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I want to give you two questions to close this whole series on, to hopefully kind of bring everything together. And I would ask you, as you if you're a Christian, as you spend time with the Lord this week, would you prayerfully wrestle with these two questions and what you need to do with them? So the first question is a practical question. Practically, 
What steps of wisdom do you need to take for your marriage to flourish and honor Jesus? And I'm talking to husbands and wives here and would ask this question. What do you, not your spouse, need to change? Men, are there ways we need to love our wives differently and better? Are there there ways we need to lead better? Ladies, are you following your husband's leadership? Are you respecting him? Do you need to relate to him in a more respectful way? You know, there may be other things. You can go back to the first message. I gave a list of about 10 uh, areas of of wisdom that we need to look at. Is there something we need to forgive? Is there something you need to apologize for? Something you need to repent of? Do you need to be spending more time together? Uh, Do you need to work on some communication things? I don't know what it would be, but what is a step that you could take Something you can change, something you can do differently that's going to make your marriage resemble more uh, Jesus and the church and that's really just going to be better for you guys at the same time. Here's the second question. It's a spiritual question. Spiritually, are you living and trying to do marriage in your own strength or through the power of the Holy Spirit? What did he say? Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. How do we live in the power of the Spirit? It starts, we actually have to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, which happens through salvation. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 13, I think it is, we go back there. It says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in, who, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, Ephesians 2, 89 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Are you actually a Christian? Do you actually have a relationship with Christ? Because if you do, you have God's spirit in your life. But if you don't, he's not there and all you can do is do it on your own. And so here's, here's the thing I would say to you. You know, there is nothing about, uh, you know, me teaching this series and spending all this time in this passage that makes me come out of it thinking, and I'm a good guy, I'm a good husband, you know, I've got this. This is just another reminder. It's once again the mirror of the Word of God in my face reminding me of how much I need Jesus to save me and how much I need the Holy Spirit to sanctify me. It's another reminder of how inadequate I have been as a husband, how selfish I am, and how I need Christ in me to make me who He wants me to be. So I don't see how a married couple can look at scripture and look at themselves and find any ground for self-righteousness or salvation by works. It just reminds me I need Jesus and his finished work on the cross because marriage exposes our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to the cross for forgiveness of any and all of our sin? Which, you know, it may not be the overt big things. You may have been married for 60 years and never committed adultery or anything like that. But how many times have you been selfish? How many times have you been hateful? How many times have you done your own thing? How many times have you not done what you should have done for your spouse? And all of those things are are sin as much as anything else is sin. We need a Savior. And we need to be filled with the Spirit. So we're not doing this on our own. So what comes out of us in just the day-to-day of life, in the trials of life, 
is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and, and, and self-control. Those kind of things. Because that's not what naturally comes out of me. And that's not what naturally comes out of you. If we want to live this out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ, it comes when we surrender, when we depend on the Spirit, when we rely on Him, when we let Him control us and live through us, not when we try to do it on our own. So are you living your marriage with wisdom? Are you living your marriage in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you in Christ? So let's bow our heads and close our eyes.